0: Tucked away under a layer of dust lies a stack of handwritten papers, a century old. They're disheveled, out of order, their thin corners curling up with age. Some might call them trash, but to Sue Burns, this seemingly worthless bundle of dust is a treasure, an entire life just waiting to be told." Sifting through the now-disintegrating pages, Sue pauses, running her finger across one line in particular. The words faded and smeared with age. It reads, it is but a common life. And perhaps it was. After all, you've probably never heard of the woman who wrote those words. But did you know, even common lives have a tendency to be extraordinary? Let's fix that. (laughs) I'm Shayla Fontaine, and you're listening to History Fix, where I discuss lesser-known true stories from history you won't be able to stop thinking about. This episode kicks off Women's History Month here in the U.S., and it's going to be a little different than a typical episode. Yes, I always try to find lesser-known stories to share with you rather than rehash things you've already heard a million times, but this one is on a different level of lesser-known. This is the story of an ordinary person, someone you've probably never heard of, a woman living in a particular time and place, a woman who went to great lengths to record history as it was happening to her, a common life, she called it, but I think you'll find it was anything but. And this is a big deal, this voice, this window into the life of someone living over a hundred years ago, most notably because she was a woman. I've talked about this before, how hard it is to research historical women. Their stories so often went unrecorded, and their achievements, although great, were typically behind the scenes. They're not the action stars of history. They are the crew, the cameraman, the writer, the director, the army behind the scenes, making it all happen. But that part isn't in the movie. You don't even think about it when you're watching the movie. And that's women's history. When we do find some shred of evidence, something written down, it's usually through the voice of a man. Painted somewhat by a male perspective. Think about Pocahontas and how much John Smith chose to butcher her story. Think about the wives of Henry VIII, the twisted lens through which history has cast them. Think about Ada Lovelace, if she had had her own voice, if her story wasn't completely dampened by the men who dominated the computer science field, how much sooner would that technology have been available? Think about Hazel Scott and the way the all-male panel on the House Un-American Activities Committee chose to erase her from history completely because they could, because they controlled the narrative. And think about Lisa del Giocondo, the Mona Lisa, whom we know almost nothing about, save for her face, painted by a man. So when I came across this book, A Common Life, A Voice from the Progressive Era, And I learned the story behind it, how it all came about. I had to know more. I'm in a Facebook group for finding podcast guests. I don't get on there very often, but, you know, looking for someone who's cut open a dead body for the Body Snatchers episode, that's pretty niche. And thank you, Dr. Jeff Zinkoff, for responding to my post. I also reached out to try to find someone in the genetics or fertility world willing to talk about eugenics but it was crickets on that one. Anyway, I stumbled upon a post recently by a woman named Sue E. Burns that read, quote, I'm Sue. My great-great-grandmother kept a diary from 1888 until she died in 1922 at age 79. I took her words and did a deep dive into the story behind what she wrote to create context for her diary entries. Her first-person account of her life provides a front-row seat to the pivotal time in history known as the Progressive Era. Her diary provides insights into her personal experiences during World War I, diagnosis and treatment of diseases in a pre-antibiotic era, the skills she needed to provide for herself and manage her farm after her husband died, and all the day-to-day activities required by her life. I routinely give presentations and interviews about her diary, my research into it, and the book I published that pulls it all together. And I was like, um, yes, me, pick me. So I sat down to chat with Sue about her great-great-grandmother's story and the book she wrote about it, A Common Life, A Voice from the Progressive Era. And in honor of preserving women's history, I'd like to share that with you today. My name is Sue Burns. Um, I'm
1: retired. Uh, For 30 years, I was a uh, IT support person for an organization, which is kind of where I learned my research and analytical skills that I used a lot in writing my book. Um, I currently live in Iowa, um, and I'm a lifelong Iowan. I grew up on a farm in central Iowa, and that's part of my connection to the book as well.
0: I understand that you came upon a diary, and I would love to know whose diary was that, and how did you acquire it?
1: Well, it wasn't me personally who acquired the diary. In fact, there's a whole chapter in the book about how the diary came to become the book. But um, back in the probably mid to late 90s, um, somebody was cleaning out an attic and found the diary. Um, And as soon as the diary was removed from the attic, the pages started to disintegrate. And somehow my mom heard about this and she was really concerned that the words that were on the pages not get lost. And so I was out visiting her one time and she was telling me about this project, you know, this diary that somebody had found and she was trying to transcribe the diary with her electric typewriter. And and I offered to help her with it, I'm like, mom, there's got to be a better way. So we started working together to try and get the diary digitized. And we tried a bunch of stuff but we ended up um I used an OCR program uh optical character recognition um I was not optimistic because I didn't think it was going to work very well on handwritten text but it didn't work too badly um and we ended up that you know I would look through the the text file that was created as mom was reading out loud and we would try and catch artifacts and things that got messed up um so that's how we ended up actually just digitizing the diary uh, and that was probably, we finished that project in 1999 or something like that. Um, and then the diary just sat there for probably a couple of decades. Um, I always thought that, God, there's got to be somebody who would be interested in this diary. And a friend of mine told me about an organization called the Iowa Women's Archive, which is a uh, an organization related to the Iowa City Library. Um, I was... University of Iowa Library, sorry. Um, and I donated a copy of the diary to this archive. And in delivering the diary, I was talking to the, the curators about it. And they were really excited about this diary because they didn't have anything in their connect collection that went back that far. Because um, the diary starts in 1888. Um, they said they had a lot of diaries from, you know, World War II and a few prior to that, but nothing that went back to 1888. So they were really excited about that. They were also really excited because um, Mary, the woman who wrote the diary, uh, actually wrote a lot of diaries that they had. It would be warmer today or it rained last night and that was it. And she actually wrote. So they were really excited about it. Um, The woman who wrote the diary is Mary Ann Mosier briggs She's my great-great-grandmother. She was born in 1842 and uh, died in 1922. So the diary covers the years from 1888 until she died in 1922. Um, And she lived most of her life on a farm in central Iowa.
0: Wow. It's really, I've, you know, I've, I've researched or attempted to at least research quite a few women for my podcast. And I always find it really difficult because so many of their stories just were not written down or they were recorded through like a male perspective So it's really fascinating that she actually recorded so much about her life. And like you said, it's not just like the weather, like she's actually writing down things that, you know, kind of a window into that time. So you said um, so she was born in the in the in the 1840s. So she was around like in her 40s when she started the diary. Is that is that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, I think she was 45 when she started the diary. I could do the math, but that's sort right. of the number that sticks in my head. <laughs> <Close enough. laughs> yeah, because she'd been married for 18 years okay. at that point. In okay. fact, the, the very first entry in the diary kind of sounds like an introduction. It's January 1st of 1888. And she's like introducing her life and herself. And it just sounds like this is the first entry and this is the start. Um, and then there's like an 11-year gap in the diary where there are no either there are no entries or there were and they've been lost because we're not entirely sure that we've actually got all of the entries that she wrote Um, so there's like an 11 year gap and then around the late 1890s it kind of starts up again and then she really keeps with it pretty regularly until she dies
0: was this all like in one one book, like one notebook or was it like multiple different documents and pages and books that she was recording in?
1: She tended to write on um tablet paper. Okay. And I, you I don't know if you're old enough to remember <laughs> big chief tablets. <laughs> I remember them from when I was in <laughs> early elementary, but that's what she wrote on. We and I don't know that it's big chief brand, but that's what they look like when we saw them. Um, so it's just cheap newsprint paper. Right, okay. um, online paper tablet kind of thing
0: that very like thin sort of paper that well yeah and just cheap paper yeah. I mean it's
1: no wonder it started to disintegrate as soon as it came out of the attic Um, but a lot of the sheets had come loose you know so we had a whole bunch of just individual sheets um, that was a lot of the project that my mom and I worked on was just trying to figure out what order these pages go in you know because she would put the day, I mean, the number of the day, and then she would write an entry, but she would only put the month on the first of the the month, and she only put the year on the first of the year, so it's like we have all these pages with just numbers on them, and it's like we had to try and figure out what year they went with, what month they went with. Um, The Mom and I did the best we could, but as I started doing the research for the book, I realized that, oh, Wait, no, that can't be here. That has to be in a different year, right? And so I then I went back and started doing some some reorganization from what Mom and I originally did, just because I knew more about what was going on at the time and the things that she was writing,
0: right? So, so to, you know, to make it make sense chronologically, that's like a huge puzzle, yes. really. Wow, I mean, yeah, because I'm picturing like a book where it's all just neatly in order, but wow, that no,
1: was- <laughs> no, it wasn't that easy. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness. Well, let's talk a little about her story. I mean, that's a lot of years of recording. I'm sure there's a lot there. Um, are there any particular events or moments from her life that you would like to share?
1: Oh wow, there were so many of them because um, it does cover a lot of a lot of years. What I ended up doing with the book was instead of organizing it chronologically across her life, um, I took the things that she wrote about a lot. You know, she would write about things over and over again as they occurred in her life, and I would put them into themes. So if that was a theme, and then I'm, each one of those themes is a chapter, and then within that chapter, all of the entries are chronological. Um, and that really helped me kind of see patterns in in these themes. Like for example, she wrote a lot about what she was reading, and it, I really liked being able to watch what she was reading change and grow across her life. And it's like looking at everything that she read as a whole it was a lot more interesting than just, you know, okay, you know, in 1906 she read this book and in 1912 she read this book, kind of thing. Um, but there were so many surprises. Um, things that I, you know, she would write about something and I would start doing the research on it. And I sometimes had absolutely no idea where I was going to end up when I started researching something. Um, I think probably the biggest surprise for me, the one that I just got so excited about when I found um, her daughter, Lily, got married in 1906. And she and her husband moved to South Dakota, where they homesteaded some land up there. They had two kids. And then in 1913, Lily and the two kids move back to Iowa and move in with Mary. And I'm like, well, what happened to the husband? You know, and I just kind of assumed, well, maybe he died and it was in a section of the diary that's lost or just wasn't mentioned or whatever. But I kept digging and I did eventually find him. And I found that he had been committed to an, an a mental hospital wow. where he spent the rest of his life. Wow. And then i found his medical records at the hospital and figured out okay well what what put him there how did he end up there what was his life like after this point what was lily's life like after this point um that turned into a much much bigger story than i ever expected it would um but i was just so excited when i was like oh, damn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's very unexpected that's yeah that's probably not at all you were thinking you would uncover
1: yeah i'm at first, I didn't even know where to look, you know, and but yeah that was that was probably one of the bigger stories that I just didn't expect as i was was doing the research on the diary
0: and though I know you mentioned that Mary's husband also passed away at some point, um and was that you said pretty early in early on in her writing the diary or was she older when he, he died?
1: Well, he died in nineteen o three okay, so yeah, it was it was pretty early in the diary. So she was a widow for the entire, almost the entire diary.
0: Right. And how many, did she have many children or just how many children did she have?
1: She had six. Okay. Um, and yep. she had six in the first eight years they were married. Wow. So that was one of the things she also wrote about. Um, there's one diary entry where she says something like, and the children came so fast. <laughs> yeah, That's a lot. You know, because she was talking about, you know, <laughs> (laughs) managing their schooling and, you know, all of the other tasks that were required for running a farm and running a family and keeping household going. And she did, because that was one of the things that I noticed is I was looking at like the birth dates of all of her children and, you know, pretty much every, you know, 16 to 20 months, you know, in the first years of their marriage, you know, she was having, having another child. And, as far as I know, all of them survived. Um, I don't know that there were any miscarriages or um, children that died, you know, shortly after birth. Um, there are a couple of gaps in the the birth order where yeah, I know maybe there was a miscarriage in there, but I I don't know. And she certainly wasn't going to say because that's very common for that time period. You never talked about pregnancy, and she right. never ever mentioned pregnancy, even when. You know, she was having grandchildren being born. Um, You know, the most she would say was, well, Franny had another boy. You know, (laughs) that was it. Yeah. you know. One of the other things that I discovered is I was looking at um, Iowa census data, and I think it was for 1880. And one of the things that it said was that almost half of all of the deaths that were recorded for that census period were children under the age of five. So yeah. it's like just the the child mortality rate back then when she was having her, it was really high. I yeah. mean, it's like one out of six or seven
0: um, yeah, it's really, that's children really would die. That hers, that's so many, you know, that she had so many that survived to adulthood. That's, that's, that's some great uh, genetics there you're lucky to have. <laughs> well, and she had uh, some good luck. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. Well, she had like
1: 26 grandchildren and she lost three great grandchildren um one of them died at like eight months one of them died at like five and a half years and then she had another one that died at about 13. um so she did lose some grandchildren but as far as i know she didn't lose any um of her own children Mm -hmm. um her husband was married once before he married her and his first wife um they had a child a daughter And the wife died like a month after the child was born. And then the child died a month later, you know, so he had experienced Mm -hmm. that even if she had.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you know how he died? Do you know how he ended up dying?
1: Yeah, actually there's a whole chapter in the book about that. (laughs) Um, He, okay. Starting in about 1900, there are a lot of entries where, you know, Lem or L.W. was her husband's name, Lemuel, um, where he, you know, he's not doing well. He, he didn't come to bed. He had to sit up all night. The doctor was called. Um, there were a lot of those kind of entries. And then there was an entry about, um, he had some surgery. So there were like two doctors and three men came to the house to perform this surgery. Um, and you know, surgery was done on the kitchen table kind of thing. And what they ended up doing, she never said this, but I did some research and found out that Um, what had happened in the surgery is they amputated one of his toes. And then a couple of years after that is when he actually died. In the last couple of years, she doesn't really write a whole lot until after he dies. Um, But he had what was called Bright's disease, which is basically kidney failure. Okay. Um, So I don't know if... Between the toe amputation and the kidney failure, if maybe he also had diabetes, that's or what something. I was thinking
0: when you said the toe. That that was what popped. Well, and me. that was yeah. when
1: I found out that it was you know that he'd had a toe amputated. It's like oh, that sounds like you know diabetes and extremity issues and things like that. Um, and then when I you know found his death certificate and found that he had died of Bright's disease, and I figured out that that was kidney failure. It's like well, that also sounds like diabetes. And and there was some other diabetes in the family as well. Um, because the the grandchild who died at five and a half, he also it was diabetes that killed him. So that's um you know that that was his story. And apparently, the last couple of years of his life were just really painful and awful. Um, in fact, in his obituary, there was a line that said something like, for over two years he'd been frustrated by pain and suffering and t- and he waited patiently for death to relieve him. And so it just sounds like those last couple of years could not have been fun for him or Mary because they were, you know, his caregivers. I mean, he, they, their youngest daughter was also still living with him because she hadn't gotten married yet. So it was Mary and Lily who were taking care of Lem in his final years. But that just had to be a load.
0: Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories So what did that mean for Mary after he passed away? You know, did they still have this farm? Is she having to take on these responsibilities or how did her life change after his death?
1: She did talk about um, she was having to learn how to manage things and manage money. Um, I suspect she never really goes into this, but I suspect that they had what would be for that time a very traditional type relationship. She took care of the house and the kids and he took care of the farm kind of thing. Um, So after he died, yeah, she had to take on those roles. Um, She had four sons and who some of them were farming in the area as well. So she could contact them and they kind of helped her, you know, in making decisions and things. Um, But she also owned land in Warren County um, because when her parents died, she inherited some land from them. So she was managing property in another county in addition to the farm where she lived um, so she was renting out land and she was you know you know managing the planting and the harvesting for the most part i think especially once she got older she would just rent out the farmland um and probably didn't have the the dairy cattle and the hogs and and things that they'd had when the, when she was younger um but yeah she she had to learn how to manage and, and make do and she took care of things
0: Wow, so we're talking about a pretty large span of time. Were there any sort of major world events or historic moments in history that she happens to mention in the diary, or you know, share some commentary on?
1: Yeah, well, the um, the Progressive Era is something that you know basically perfectly overlaps the time period of the diary, which is one of the reasons that that's why I put it in the title because it's like you know she was just perfectly positioned to talk about the Progressive Era. And there is one chapter in the book where I look at the Progressive Era as it relates to her diary um, because a lot of the things of the Progressive Era it was a rapid technological and sociological you know time of change for the country. Um, she talks about like the the road in front of her house, which is currently a fairly major highway at the time was a dirt road. Um, but she talks about the traffic in this road, you know, and you, you can see over the course of her diary, how it changes from strictly animal drawn vehicles to a mix of animal drawn vehicles and cars. And it never quite gets to the point where there are no animal drawn vehicles at all anymore. But, you know, that is one of the things, the automobile, that was, that was something that came about kind of in that time period. Um, there was a transition like from steam power to like kerosene, gasoline, diesel kind of power. Um, She has an entry in the diary where she talks about there's a steam plow that they're using to straighten a section of creek in the county. And she makes a trip by train to go see this machine because she just thinks this is so cool. (laughs) And the thing about that is if you look on a map like, you know, Google Maps or Google Earth or something like that, you can see that that stretch of creek is still perfectly straight, and that just does not happen by nature. But that that was what this steam plow that she saw did was straighten that section of creek. Um, Wright brothers' first flight was 1903, which she didn't write about herself. But in 1911, which is only eight years later, she writes about going to see the flying machines. Um, there was this air show that had three pilots. I think two of them were from France, and one of them was a military pilot. And I was as I was looking at the the newspaper coverage of this event, there were just like full page stories and drawings and photos and stuff. It was like an Iowa first. There were three planes in the sky at the same time. <laughs>
0: That's very cool. I'm, I'm, I live a mile away from where the Wright brothers flew the first plane. So that's some local history for me. That's really neat. That that was part of the story too. So cool.
1: Yeah. Well, and then she also, uh, the flu pandemic, you know, she lived through that world war one. She lived through that. Um, yeah. So there was just that whole time period was just full of major world events. And she talked about there were several uh, like former presidents who had been shot or, or died just naturally. You know she talked about world events. There's another chapter in the book for just those kinds of things where she talks about things that are happening in the world outside her farm.
0: Yeah, that's real. it's it's so neat to get just like someone's perspective from the time period um, of those things happening, because I feel like, you know, we look back at them now and it's like you're, you're reading about it in a history book or whatever. But to have like a it's happening right now kind of voice is really interesting. I would love to talk more just kind of about the process of turning it into a book. I know you, you sort of mentioned some already about having different themes for the chapters and um, so it's not just like her diary printed as a book. It's so, is it sort of a mix of like excerpts from the diary and your own research and how did you kind of turn it into a book?
1: Well, the diary itself, I don't know if you've ever kept a diary or you know talked to somebody who keeps a diary. You don't really write for other people. If you're writing a diary and the problem with her diary is she would write things and it's like, who was that? What is that? Why are you writing it? You know, it just, it doesn't really make sense because you don't know what context is. And so that was really my impetus for writing the book because the diary on its own is really, really hard to read just because you don't have the context for everything. Um, So that's why I decided to, do the research, figure out that context to make the diary itself a lot more accessible and understandable. So what I did is I I took specific entries from the diary, and then I just did research into, okay, well, who is she talking about? Why was this important? What was going on at the time? That sort of thing. Um, Like, for example, you know, she wrote that Newton Stanley stopped by for a visit, and we talked for an hour. And I'm like, well, who is Newton Stanley? And why did she care? Why did that make it into the diary? Um, you know, so I did a lot of write, research to try and figure out, well, who is Newt Stanley? And, you know, was he a neighbor? Where did he come from? You know, that sort of thing. Um, for the big world events, it was a lot easier because, you know, there are newspaper articles and and things like that. Um, so the book itself is kind of, you know, I, I took her diary entries and then there's my narration about okay this is what she's talking about this is what this means um and it's not every single entry in the diary um that there's just too much repetition (laughs) you know and, and there's no real point in you know reading every single time that oh you know this is what the crops brought in or we're harvesting or we're planting or you know it rained that sort of thing um so there are there are some diary entries and then there's the the narration and research that i did that provides the context for those entries
0: were there any particular parts of the diary where you really you, that really impacted you or maybe where mary had kind of a life lesson or some wisdom that she shared from her time anything sort of powerful that you found in there
1: well the the most powerful i think or overriding thing about her diary was she had a hard life I mean, it was just there was a lot of a lot of struggle in her life. and she often wrote about, especially after her husband died. um, she often wrote about being lonely, um, and she spent a lot of time just, you know waiting for heaven, you know, that's that was just getting her through. She just wanted to get to heaven. Um so I I almost think that there was some depression going on um which you know is kind of understandable but i think back then there was a real stigma about mental health care um you you don't talk about it you just soldier on kind of thing and i think that was kind of her attitude as well um you know and of course with her son-in-law ending up in a mental institution you know it's like those are the two choices either you just carry on or you end up in a mental institution. And there really wasn't a lot in between. And you know, sometimes I just really felt for her. It's like, oh, she just needs somebody to talk to or something. And in a lot of cases, that was her diary, Um, especially in the beginning of the diary. You know, she, she calls it, you know, dear old journal, or, you know, I can talk to you as I can talk to a friend. And, you know, she refers to her diary as her friend. And I think that's that was part of her way of processing and coping with her life. Yeah. Um, there was kind of a change in that around well, probably 1907, because I think in 1906, she read this book. And it was a book called Stepping Heavenward. That was, it was fiction, but it was written in the form of a diary that follows this girl when the diary starts. She's 16, and then it follows her through, um, you know, growing up and getting married and having children and, and all this sort of thing. And it seems to me like after she read that book, she maybe started thinking of her diary differently. Um, because before that, you know, she always referred to it as a friend and, you know, companion, that sort of thing. After that, she seems to think of it more as a, a record of what happened, a record of her life. Right. And in fact, there's at one point she writes something about, um, it's it's on the order of, you know, people reading these words after the hand that has penned them has ceased its labors kind of thing. So it's like, I think she was kind of thinking that someday somebody else, we going to read these words. Um, yeah. Didn't really affect the way that she wrote because she still didn't explain things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she probably didn't have much time on her hands <laughs> to explain well, things. Well, you
1: know, and I kind of think when, in that first part of the, where she starts the diary and then there's nothing for like 11 years, it's like, well, she's got six kids under the age of 17, you know, she's managing a household and a farm without electricity, without running water, without, you know, all the stuff that we have now, yeah. I, you know, I just can't imagine what it took, you know, the hours out of her day that it just took just to keep things running. Yeah, And, you know, she just, she just kept going. You know, right. 'Cause otherwise it's not gonna get done.
0: Yeah. And I know I think I read on the on the back of your book actually, you had mentioned she wrote um something like It is but a common life. And I find that so interesting because it is, but at the same time, if you really look at it, she's really accomplishing so much. And that's really extraordinary. Um, so it's 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 almost a, an interest it's almost ironic to call it a common life and then be yeah. really kind of this very impressive person who's accomplished a lot of behind the scenes things that, that, you know, aren't overtly impressive, but, but really when you look at all she did and all she overcame in her life, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Well, you know, and that's kind of where I started with,
1: you know, and that's also why I named the book a common life because that's how she described her life. But I was kind of, initially thinking you know it's like wow this amazing time in history that she lived you know with the wright brothers first flight in world war one and all these kinds of things it's just amazing that she was alive back then and you know the technological changes and things that she saw and then i got to thinking well it's like well when i was a kid a tv was this gigantic piece of furniture that sat in your living room and it was black and white and now I've got this device in my pocket where I can watch color movies wherever I want. It's like, okay, that is also a pretty amazing technological advancement. So it it kind of made me think, okay, 100 years from now, what would my life look like to somebody else? And that was also what was I was thinking, you know, as I was writing the book cuz it's like, yeah, it was an amazing time when we look back on it, but I think you know, every time period has got its own bit of amazing you know history at some point it's going to become history
0: it's almost like you have to kind of get out of it and look back at it to kind of see how amazing it is when you're in it it just feels normal but it's just life yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. what it is yeah, yeah. kind of you kind of need that like perspective of looking backwards and oh it's so different from me but when you're yeah that's that's really neat well it's it's awesome that she gave us that look into into what life was like
1: oh yeah absolutely for me that is that is what is so special about her diary and the book is it's her words. This is her life that she's talking about. It's a first-person account of this period of time. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, Lazy, you need the the context to kind of understand some of it, but it's still, it's her words. and And it's her words... More than a hundred years later. So I have to ask, do you keep a diary of your own life? I don't keep a daily diary. Um, I kind of keep sort of episodic diaries. Like I have a trip journal. Every time I take a trip someplace, I keep, you know, I keep a journal while I'm on the trip. Um, and that basically started back when I was taking, you know, photographs, film photographs, not digital photographs, you know, film photographs. And i I'd, I'd take all these pictures and I'd get home and I'm like where was this? What day was this? I don't, you know, I was having trouble, you know, just trying to figure out what was going on with these, with these photographs. And so I I was keeping a trip journal so that when I got home, it's like, oh, that was this day. And that's what this is. And that helped me kind of organize the the photos, but I don't keep a daily journal. And, you know, and I think about that. It's like, man, I really should.
0: I know I did when I was younger, like I have like a middle school journal. That's probably difficult (laughs) to go back and read now. Um, But I've, you know, I've stopped. I haven't, I haven't in a long time, but now this is making me realize like, what a, what a really um, neat thing to do for future generations just to record the time that you live.
1: Yeah. You know, and the stuff that you don't think about, I mean, it's like you or I may just take it for granted. Well, that's just the way it works. You know, that's just, how life is, but a hundred years from now, nobody's going to understand that. Um, And without these kinds of, you know, windows into the past, you know, what you're left with are the official records. It's the newspaper articles, it's, you know, broadcasts, it's that sort of thing that, you know, that's all been filtered through somebody. Whereas journals are these first person this is this is real. This is a real life. This is a real experience. And it's, that's really hard to get any other way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it becomes a game of telephone, otherwise, where it's gone through all these voices and everyone's exactly. twisted it a tiny bit. So that like original firsthand account is very special. That's very cool.
1: That's the part that really really grabbed me about, you know, the diary itself and writing the book is these are her words, and, and it's, a, it's a way of preserving her voice, not just for now, but for future generations, too, so that there's still that window
0: into that past. I found myself quite moved by a few of the things Sue shared about Mary. Yes, there were big events, the first flight and World War I, but what moves me even more is the silent struggle she faced that no one got to see. Six children in eight years on a farm in rural Iowa without electricity or modern medicine when you, as the mother, are fully responsible for their upbringing and the management of the whole household. That is a powerful accomplishment. A husband suffering for years, wishing for death while you try your best to comfort him, lift his spirits, while simultaneously taking on his duties, learning how to run a farm, manage finances, still be a mother to your children who are losing their father. That is a powerful accomplishment. Struggling with your own mental health throughout all of it, struggling with depression, just waiting for heaven. At a time when it was taboo to talk openly about mental health, there was no therapy. There was just keep it to yourself or end up in an institution like your son-in-law. Just keep it to yourself and survive. That is a powerful accomplishment. There's nothing common, nothing ordinary about any of that. Mary Ann Mosier-Briggs was not an action star, not like Captain John Smith, King Henry VIII, Charles Babbage, or Leonardo da Vinci. Her accomplishments were behind the scenes, off camera. She raised six children. She kept them alive, helped shape the people they became, ran the farm that sustained them. And then those six children had their own children, passed all of that on to them, and so on and so on they are us. Mary helped forge the next generations. No, she didn't run a country or paint a famous masterpiece, but her accomplishments through overwhelming struggle, her perseverance, are no less impressive. And the only reason we even know about them is because she chose to write them down. Her own form of therapy. And her great-great-granddaughter, one of the fruits of her labor, chose to preserve them and share them with the world. But there are women everywhere leading these remarkable lives. I'm a firm believer that if women stopped doing the things that they have always done, civilization as we know it would absolutely crumble. So in honor of Women's History Month, I'd like to leave you with this. Behind every powerful man throughout time stood an even more powerful woman, his mother, his wife, his daughter, whoever it may be. We don't often get to hear their stories, but rest assured, they were extraordinary. Thank you all so very much for listening to History Fix, and a huge thank you to Sue for all she has done to share Mary's story. If you're interested in reading A Common Life, A Voice from the Progressive Era by Sue E. Burns, you can find it on Amazon, and I will link that in the description for you. Be sure to follow my Instagram, at History Fix Podcast, to see some images that go along with this episode, and to stay on top of new episodes as they drop. I'd also really appreciate it if you would rate and follow this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen, and go ahead and share it with a few friends. That'll make it much easier to get your next fix.